Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Climbing the Ivy podcast, the official podcast of CubbiesCrib.com. I'm your host, Jake Meisner, along with me for the next 45 minutes, my co-host, Alex Pat. Alex, how are you doing tonight? Doing all right. How about yourself? Well, come down off the U Darvish high a little bit. Uh, obviously, we got his introductory press conference here uh, in the last couple days, which was very exciting um, just to see him. Uh, honestly, what I liked the most is just how he conducted himself. He was very calm. He was very professional. Um, unlike some certain Cubs fans, we'll leave it at that on social media, I had no problem that he used an interpreter because I can – Imagine that even if you dropped you or I in, into such an environment, it would be a little overwhelming. So I think that was a, a good call. And, you know, I, I had nothing but good things to say and feel coming out of that. Yeah, I was able to watch it yesterday. Uh, last night I watched uh, – they had the video stream on Facebook, so I watched it when I got a chance. And, yeah, I really liked everything that was said. So – Makes you a little bit more excited. Yeah, obviously, uh, Darvish got right to work yesterday, which was also pretty cool to see. Uh, right after the press conference, was out working out with the club. Uh, he was back out there again today. So hitting the ground running, always exciting, uh, especially with such a big-name acquisition to see him just jump right in, uh, get right to work, You know, get to know his new teammates, the new coaching staff, the new – I mean, really, the Cubs are such a such a an expansive organization now, and such a well developed organization. I imagine there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve this spring, just just trying to get used to things, don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that goes uh, for pretty much every year. But when you get a new big acquisition and a few other new acquisitions, and you have a new mindset coming off another year, you know, last year they were coming off the World Series and the mindset was a little different and this year it's a little different. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, before we, uh, get any farther into our podcast, uh, I did just want to you know, send, send our thoughts and well wishes to everyone affected by the, uh, horrible tragedy in Parkland, Florida. Um, actually a, a strong tie to the Cubs, uh, former, uh, high school and alma mater of Anthony Rizzo. He's very involved in the Parkland community still. Um, so well wishes, best thoughts with everybody that, that's affected by this terrible tragedy. Um, I have no doubt that we're going to see Rizzo stepping up and, and doing something big there. Uh, just with how in touch he is with the community. Again, it's something that, that has made us all love him. Um, but he's he's a staple there still. So hopefully... Um, we can get some answers and and move forward um, as a as a country. But back to baseball. Speaking of Rizzo, he has been um, 
you know, he's been getting ready for the new season. And, and a lot of the talk I'm hearing around the, the camp this year, Alex, is that it's different than last year. Like guys are hungry. They're energized. They're excited again. There is no hangover. Uh, how big of, a, of an impact do you think that's going to make, especially in the first half? Yeah, I think it is going to because last year I think there was definitely a hangover in that first half. And I can't really blame them for having a hangover. They didn't really get much of an off season at all. They were constantly at events and going here, going there, flying here, flying there, cross country. They didn't get any rest. And then they had a report for spring training. This expectation in high was putting even more pressure on them, and they were tired as it is. So now they come back. They're really refreshed. They've gotten some good rest. And I just think they're ready to attack this and attack this now. That first half last season was so unbelievably frustrating, but you just you saw them kind of drag a little bit. And I don't think you're going to see that much this year. You're not going to see that much dragging. I think that you'll tell right away in spring training how energized these guys are. I think it's going to make a huge difference. And it may be tough to see at first, but I think when you see them playing games, early on or even in spring training, you're going to see a little bit of that energy back. Yeah. Um, last year, the Cubs, two games under 500 in the first half, 24 over in the second half. Big difference. Uh, something I saw just before we went on the air, uh, games won by three or more runs. The Cubs still finished sixth in all of baseball last year uh, in that category. And I don't know about you, but that really surprised me because we've talked about it several times over the last month or so. The offense scored runs. They finished second in the league only to Colorado, but I never felt like they, they hit that stride. And to see that they had, you know, had lopsided wins, you know, more than every, but five teams in baseball, that was really surprising. Yeah. You know, what's really funny about that is, I think we don't realize it because the Cubs scored runs in such bunches last year. You saw stretches of games where they couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. Uh, They just struck out a lot and didn't generate a whole lot of offense. And then you had a lot of those games where they scored 15 runs or more in just one game. So I really think that the totals are really high. They just didn't really spread out those totals a lot. Yeah, I mean, there was that two-week stretch from August 14th to August 30th where the Cubs scored more than 15 runs five times in a two-week stretch. That's, yeah. that's unreal. That was like, so that's that's really when they hit their stride. Obviously, the end of August um, into September, they put up a six-game winning streak, uh, ran off another seven-gamer in the middle of September, and that really was was the difference in the division. Um, so the Cubs, obviously, it was a tale of two halves last year. It was still enough to get back to the postseason. They willed their way past Washington, fell short against the Dodgers. But I, I feel really good about the energy. Um, I feel good about you, Darvish. Um, I know we talked about him a lot this weekend, but, uh, you know, a big a big question that we've seen is where does you, Darvish, fit in the Cubs rotation? I'm having trouble answering this question because I feel like – And I broke this down in an article a couple days ago. I don't think the Cubs need any one of their five guys to go out and win a Cy Young. I think they all just need to do what they're capable of, turn in quality starts, and eat some innings. Well, that's 
just such the great thing about this rotation is because it's deep. You could potentially have Jose Quintana as your four. Like we said earlier, it's just so spread out with talent. And, you know, were you Darvish fifth? It's a good question that I don't have a solidified answer for, but I can tell you he's capable of being at the top of the rotation. But with who else is in there, that can change the order a little bit because you have Kyle Hendricks who is capable of being at the top. I still think this is John Lester's rotation, so I'm still going to put him at the top. And Jose Quintana is also a guy you could put as high as number two. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they put this rotation together because other than Chatwood, you know he's going to be your number five. You could kind of spin the wheel on these guys and put them anywhere, and it would make sense. Yeah, 100%. And like I said, I, I mean, like I've said in the past and like you just reiterated, I think that's the biggest strength of this team is just its overall consistent quality. You don't have – you know, you don't have a a player, you know, in the batting order who hits 190. You don't have a pitcher who's going to put up a 550 ERA just to eat innings. I mean, it's quality up and down the roster from pitchers to position players. And I think that's going to be a huge asset, largely because Joe Madden, in my mind, is the best at capitalizing on depth. Yeah. I mean, he lives on it and he's the Mr. Utility Guru and he's got several utility guys to work with, and I think that goes a long way in managing depth. Uh, Speaking of depth, um, I I haven't had a chance to read it yet because I can't find my login for my Baseball America account, but Baseball America tweeting out literally right before we went on the air that the Chicago Cubs expect Adbert Alzelay to reach the big leagues at some point this season. And that I had not heard that at all. So I'm guessing we're not talking about anywhere sooner than September, barring something terrible happening, but uh, I hadn't heard even a whisper of that until this, this report just came out. No, me neither, because I really thought that he'd be a guy who at the very soonest would be 2019 not 2018 yeah especially you know you go out and you load up on pitching I mean Cusack Dario Alvarez Drew Smiley will probably get a look maybe at the end of the year if not he'll be ready for 2019 Uh, obviously Brandon Morrow the new closer Hugh Darvish Tyler Chatwood a bunch of other you know I don't want to say low level guys but some less less known names um, I just, I don't see where he fits in, but at some point I have a feeling he might force the club's hand to get him on the roster. And now again, that's a nice problem to have. It's been a really long time since we had a, a homegrown drafted prospect turn in quality, meaningful innings at the big league level. So I think it will be a precursor to the next era of Cubs prospects that I think it's just going to be pitching dominated, and I'm just as excited for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there are a few other Cubs that may develop into something as well. That's remaining to be seen, but it's going to be interesting to see what the future holds in that remark. 
Yeah, and I think what will actually help these guys develop more is the fact that the Cubs have their current core locked up through 2020, 2021, 2022. Like, the old guard is going to be around to help bridge any transition, and I think that's huge, as opposed to maybe you've got a roster full of 35 or older guys that, like, this is it. It is 100% on the prospects to perform when they're promoted. I don't think you're going to have that pressure when these guys start getting integrated into the organization at the big league level. Right. Exactly. So as we talked about, Darvish can slot in anywhere. It's what makes him so valuable. Um, we'll, um, we'll actually segue that into our, our new segment, just a rapid fire I've got five questions for Alex. He's going to quickly answer them fair or foul with a little explanation. Um, The first one pertaining to none other than you, Darvish. So, Alex, fair or foul, you, Darvish, finishes in the top five of NL Cy Young voting in 2018. You know, as hype as I am about Darvish, I'm going to lead towards foul just because the people ahead of him include Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, Steven Strasburg. I think he'll be top 10. I just don't know about top five. Yeah. I I think that's a huge, a huge aspect for me as well. You just, you don't have, yeah. I mean, you're not going up against nobodies. I mean, you could make the case that Strasburg, Scherzer, Kershaw, We'll go one, two, three. And at that point, it, it's anyone's guess where it goes from there. Even other guys on this Cubs rotation could beat out Darvish for Cy Young votes. They might split the vote that way. Um, last year in the National League, the top five was Scherzer, Kershaw, Strasburg, Zach Grinke after a really nice rebound year in Arizona, and then Kenley Jansen. Uh, obviously, Kenley Jansen was ungodly good last year. I mean, he just dominated. Um, so the Dodgers actually had three pitchers along with Washington finish in the top 10. So they alone accounted for 60% of the top 10 vote getters last year. So I think just that fact alone hurts his chances of, of getting in the top 10. Yeah, exactly. There are just so many other guys who are at the peak of their performance right now. And as good as Darvish is, it's going to be really hard to be better than Max Scherzer, Kenley Jensen, and those kind of guys. Because like you said, Kenley Jensen, even just the past like two years, his work as a closer is some of the best, if not the best, I've seen. Yeah, I mean, when you split – Wade Davis's numbers from last year and put them alongside Kenley Jansen's, it makes Wade look like a dumpster fire. And the guy only blew one save for us all year. Don't get me wrong. He flirted with disaster well more than I would have liked down the stretch, but he got the job done and picked up saves, but Jansen just dominated. I mean, he was lights out start to finish. Uh, definitely a promising start with that big contract that the Dodgers gave him. Uh, before last year. So if you're a Los Angeles Dodgers fan, you've got to be happy about that. But uh, we'll see. Again, I don't think Darvish needs to win a Cy Young for the Cubs to be a very good team, Um, but I definitely wouldn't rule it out. 
moving on, Pakoda projects zero Cubs to drive in 100 runs. Fair or foul? Foul. Foul, foul, foul. Yeah, I I have trouble believing that on this roster is going to drive in 100 runs. That is just, I can't. I can't wrap my mind around it. Yeah, I just, I think that you'll see Rizzo. I think you'll see Bryant. Those are my two guys that I think are going to drive in 100 runs. Yeah, I I can definitely see both of them doing it pretty easily. They had both of them driving in, I think, 90-plus runs, like right around that 90 RBI mark. Um, But one of the the more intriguing ones that I saw on there was that uh, Kyle Schwarber is projected for 30-plus home runs and 80-plus RBI. Would you take the over or under on that specifically? I'm sorry, how many? Uh, 30 and 80. For, I'm so, you, you crapped out for a minute. Yep, so 30 home runs for Schwarber, 80 runs batted in. I'm going to go over home runs, and I'm going to say around even for 80. I think 80 is a really good number to put Schwarber at. I think that he'll reach about 40, but uh, depending on where he bats, uh, I think 80 is a safe bet. Yeah, I, I, I guess for me, I'm not so much concerned about where he ends in terms of home runs and RBI. I want him to become a hitter again. I don't want a slugger. I want a guy who hits line drives. I don't want someone focused on launch angle. He's too good of a hitter. When he's locked in, he's too good of a hitter to just swing for the fence. So if you told me he would hit, 20 homers and drive in 60 runs, but he'd hit 280. I would take that over hitting 230 with 35 homers and 80 RBIs. Yeah, I think that with him, you're never going to see him bat above 260. I think he's capable of being a good hitter. I really do because he's got a good eye at the plate. I just think he's a guy who's going to want to hit for some pop. So that's why. I'm going to go up on the home runs a bit. Just with his strength and what he's done, that's just kind of what I think it's going to be. Yeah, and I I mean, I can't fault anyone who thinks that. I mean, we've seen tremendous power from him. Uh, My personal two favorites are probably everybody's, but in the division series in 2015 when he put the ball on top of the scoreboard against the Cardinals, that was pretty amazing. But my all-time Oh, my all-time favorite, though, was when he took Garrett Cole into the river at PNC during the wildcard game. Oh, and he just flipped his bat aside, and Cole watched that go, just watched the vapor trail, and you just flabbergasted by what happened. And, man, over the stadium and into the river, that was a thing of beauty. Yeah, obviously that was the – the complete game shutout from Arietta to get the Cubs into the division series where again, Schwarber played a, played a big role in helping the Cubs get past the Cardinals. And since then it's really, it's really flipped the NL central on its head and, and things haven't been how they were for, for a good long while. The Cubs are clearly the, the toast of the town. Now they are the, 
they're the big dog at the bowl. So to, to get, to, to get dinner, you're going to have to take them on. And I mean, in my mind, obviously still a lot of major free agents left. The Cubs are undoubtedly favorites in the central. They should win the division by 10 or more games. If St. Louis and Milwaukee don't add impact free agents, I expect them to win the division by 10 games. Yeah, I think the Cubs will be the favorites to win the division, no doubt. But I'm not convinced that Milwaukee or St. Louis is done making moves. There are still plenty of arms out there. I wrote an article today for Blasting News that I I truly feel that the Brewers are going to try to get either Cobb or Lynn. I think one of them is going to end up there. Do I think it's going to put them over the top? No, but it can close the gap a little bit. Either way, the Cubs should still be the favorites. It's just hard for me to see the Cardinals or the Brewers just sit here and do nothing while there are free agents around. Yeah, and and I, you know, I would think one of them would go after Jake Arrieta, but then there was that report right after Darvish signed that the Cubs reached back out to Jake and his camp about a similar type deal, and he didn't have any interest in it. So I don't know if that means he just wanted to move on from Chicago or if he thinks he's worth more than, you know, $126 million. Yeah, that, uh, that will be remain to be seen. Um, I don't see a lot of desperation for any of these guys really by any team, not just like the Brewers or the Cardinals. So zero desperation is kind of reflected on the fact that, Pitchers and catchers have reported, and these guys still have yet to sign. Yeah, and I think this uh, Players Association spring training camp um, is only going to make the players more patient. I think it's a huge benefit to them to play the waiting game the same as the organizations. Well, yeah, because if you didn't have any sort of training program and you're still a free agent, you'd be more and more antsy to settle because – you're thinking, I can't sit around here and not train. That's just going to do me some harm. So I think you made a good point there. So we, we obviously just touched on the Cardinals and free agency. Our next fair or foul, the St. Louis Cardinals make the postseason in 2018. Uh, I mean, I want to lean foul from just a pure baseball standpoint, I want to lean foul. I can never fully count out the Cardinals, even though the whole devil magic thing has kind of died since we beat them in the postseason. But there's still that organization that, for the most part, find ways to get it done. Um, to me, right now, if I'm taking away the whole, well, it's the Cardinals factor, taking away the whole bias factor, if I'm looking at them just from a baseball stand, to me they're they're a slightly above 500 team or a 500 team. They're not bad, but they certainly don't blow me away. There's really nothing on that team that overly scares me. Uh, obviously, Marcelo Zuna is their big acquisition, and I think that he's going to do some real good things there. But the rest of the lineup is, again, not bad but it just doesn't overly frighten me. And the pitching rotation, if you look at it, you have Carlos Martinez, who has really good stuff, but is very inconsistent. 
You have Adam Wainwright, who is once one of the best in the National League, who's completely washed now. He's old. He's got miles on him. He's not the same guy anymore. And then you have Michael Waka, who, frankly, I think is incredibly overrated. He throws straight fastballs, and when players time it rightly, he gets crushed. He can give you a good game every now and then, but he's not the cream-of-the-crop pitcher that they thought he was going to be. Maybe he turns it around. I don't know, but I'm not convinced of that yet. And then you have unproven guy. Yeah, and I, I think the only thing that makes me wary is it's always these unproven guys who go out and win 15 games. They pitch 200 innings, and you're stuck at the end of the year looking at it like, what just happened? I, I, yeah. I've never seen an organization do that as well. Uh, kind of a little segue. I In college, I worked for the Quad Cities River Bandits. They are now Houston's Class A affiliate. At the time, they were a Cardinals affiliate. And everyone I worked with knew I was a diehard Cubs fan, and they would always ask me, hey, how much does it suck working for the team that you hate? And I would tell them, because this was 2012. Yeah, 2012. So I would tell people I would be a fool to want my organization to be run any different than the Cardinals. It's just homegrown talent filling roster spots year after year after year after year. I mean, they have done it the right way. They have found tremendous success doing it. I obviously do not like the Cardinals, being a Cubs fan, but I respect that organization a great deal, um, just in terms of how John Mozeliak has gone about building a perennial, solid ball club. Well, like you said, it's really incredible how they just take these farm guys and turn them into something productive. Now, in recent years, we haven't seen quite the same magic from them. I feel like they'll bring up a farmhand, and they'll be good the first season, and then he'll really drop off the second season. But for the longest time, they were effective with it. They, they, just, they turned guys you didn't really think of, and they made them good. Also, how many guys went to the Cardinals late in their careers when we thought they were completely washed and done and then had, like, in-prime type years. Look at Raphael Fercal when he went to the Cardinals. It looked like he was done and washed. He reinvented himself. Lance Berkman, we thought he was done in Houston. He goes to the Cardinals, and he looked like Lance Berkman again. Like, it wasn't just the farmhand. It was old, washed-up guys going to the Cardinals for a number of years and resurrecting their careers for two or three more seasons. Yeah, and I think you've seen some of that with the Cubs since they've turned the corner. You get guys on these one-year deals like Rene Rivera coming over at the deadline last year. The dude raked in the second half. It was awesome. phenomenal. John Jay, again, he was supposed to just be a stopgap guy you know, one year, fine, we're not really losing anything. By signing him, he can help take the load off of Elmora, you know, replace Fowler. He was phenomenal. To me, he was the most consistent bat in the Cubs lineup last year. Well, he did a lot of good things that I think kind of went underappreciated. And he was never the big, flashy guy like Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, Russell, or any of that. He just did a solid job at what he was doing. Yeah, he did all the little things that you don't notice until they don't get done the right way. Right. So, 
Yeah, I I think um, back to the fair or foul. I think they'll probably get a wild card spot. Um, without JD Martinez, I'm not buying Arizona. I'm not buying on the Rockies. Maybe the Giants. Maybe the Mets. Uh, again, the Mets depend on health. The Giants would need kind of like what you just referenced. Need these older guys to catch, you know, some of their. Uh, younger years and put up those numbers again, uh, adding Evan Longoria would have been a great move four years ago, but I don't yeah. know what, what he'll look like. Um, it's great for name recognition. It's going to be great for Jersey sales. I don't know what you're really going to get though. So moving past that, our last fair or foul of the night, Wilson Contreras makes his first all-star team in 2018. I'm going to say fair. What we saw last year really helped put him on the map. And if he stays healthy and keeps progressing the way he is, I think he's going to be an all-star game this year. Yeah, I think uh, for me, offensively, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, More than anything, I'm going to watch how he calls games, how he handles pitchers, um, how he controls the pace of a game Uh, my main gripe against him last year as fantastic as he was I felt like he was too ruled by his emotions Um, I think there were times where he needed to take his foot off the gas for the sake of the team for the sake of the guy on the mound and that's just not how he plays the game so I think another year of maturity is going to be huge there Um, I would like to see him just in general rein it in a little um you know, he led NL catchers in errors last year, largely from snapping throws off that maybe shouldn't have been thrown. Um, but again, you're going to win some and lose some with him. He also led the league in back picks at first. Um, and that's something that really helped guys like John Lester control the running game more. So I think I would just like to see him harness his enthusiasm and energy a little more. Um, but I, I think he absolutely makes the all-star team. So, you, Darvish, obviously, we've pounded that into the ground. There's another pitcher on the staff that I, I we haven't really talked about much, and, and it's not just us. A lot of people don't talk about him, but Kyle Hendricks. Finished runner-up in Cy Young voting two years ago. Uh, battled some injuries last year. Still put up a solid uh, season, an ERA just over three. Uh, didn't eat the innings he, he had the year before, but with injury, that's expected. Took him a while to find his groove. But why is it that the baseball world at large, in your opinion, doesn't seem to give Kyle Hendricks his due? He's just not flashy. I mean, he uses off-speed stuff, doesn't throw over 89 miles an hour. You look at a lot of the pitchers, this day and age that get a lot of attention. They're racking up the K's. They're putting like ridiculous speeds on the ball. You're seeing all these 9,900 mile an hour throwers, whether it's relievers, whether it's starters. And and Kyle Hendricks, I I think he's one of the funnest pitchers to watch personally, because I love a good finesse game where you're dotting the corners, you're putting movement on off speed stuff. But I, I just think a lot of people like to pay attention to the big strikeout hard flame throwing guys. Kyle Hendricks just isn't that guy. And you've also seen that Kyle Hendricks is a very down to earth personal guy. Doesn't show a lot of motion, uh, very straight faced, uh, 
none of those qualities are bad. It just doesn't capture the attention of a lot of people. Yeah, I think kind of like what you said, he's just a very keep your head down, do your job every day. Um, don't draw attention away from the team and just take the ball every five days and handle your business. And like you, I love seeing guys like that. I love watching him pitch because he is a true pitcher. There are so many guys now that are throwers. They're not pitchers. Aroldis Chapman is not a pitcher. He is a thrower. He simply overpowers you. When that goes away, he is going to be awful. Hendricks. We seem to be awful when he can't throw a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. I mean, he's, you take that away and he's done in the big leagues within a year. So with back to Hendricks though, I, I don't think that even Cubs fans grasp how good this guy has been. So his first start in 2018 will be the 100th of his big league career. So far, he's at 99 starts and one relief appearance in 2016. He pitched to a 2.94 ERA in those 100 games. I don't understand how people don't appreciate him more because I've heard a lot of folks having the same discussion we started the show off with, breaking down how you line up this rotation. And people are immediately throwing Hendricks to the four spot. And I think, honestly, I give him real consideration for opening night or opening day, morning, really, because it's at 1030 in the morning in Miami. But I, I'm sorry. Like, he's earned that right. He's Last year was a, quote, down year, a 303 ERA, a 144 ERA plus. I mean, all of his numbers really were pretty in line with what he's done in his career, and people are ready to just, slot him alongside Tyler Chatwood as a back-end guy. And also keep this in mind. It's also a little puzzling because people love their postseason stats. Look what he's done in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, over seven series, ten starts, he's got a 2.88 ERA with a 3.69 strikeout-to-walk ratio. The guy's averaging almost nine strikeouts. So almost a strikeout I mean, for inning in his postseason career. He had to win the pennant just alone. Yeah, I mean between the yeah. pennant and the World Series last year, incredible. I mean, so between those four starts, he allowed a grand total two runs in what almost twenty-two innings. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah. And, and and again, you, you I'm sorry, you don't win the World Series without Kyle Hendricks. You you might not no, even get there. So, again, I, I just – I'm like you. I appreciate a guy that paints the corners who, after throw after throwing to two batters, realizes, hey, I don't have a curveball today, or, hey, you know, my fastball is kind of flat. I'm going to have to go to my off-speed stuff. He thinks on his feet so well because he's such a cerebral pitcher, and I think it's just a lost art in today's game. Like you said, everyone wants the Aaron Judge and – Giancarlo Stanton show of 500 foot home runs and a roll this Chapman pumping it in at 102. I I will take Kyle Hendricks in a do or die game over anyone on this pitching staff any day of the week. Yeah, and he's proven to be worthy of it. Maybe, just maybe, if I had a choice, it would be tough between him and John Lester. 
because let's face it, John Lester has been one of the best postseason pitchers in history. So, but, but yeah, it, he would definitely be up there. It would be between Hendricks or Lester and saying that your name is in the same conversation as John Lester when it comes to postseason success. That is pretty darn good company to be part of. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Lester is like you said, he is one of the all time greats when it comes to the postseason. It's been, it's been awesome to have him in Chicago these first few years. I'm really excited to see what the next few years hold because I think similar to what Ben Zobrist is going through this year, like Zoe is not a starter anymore, not a regular one, and he knows that. Um, he talked to MLB.com last week about it and said he was just excited that he feels better than he has in a long time. He's just ready to help lead and mentor and, and help make the team better. And I think that's what John Lester is getting into now. He's not your 20-game contender anymore, but he's going to give you, you know, quality starts, I'd say four out of every five times. And in those big moments, especially come October, he's going to show up. He does not shy away from a fight. No, no, he doesn't. I mean, you saw even the postseason last year, after struggling a little bit, he had a really good postseason overall. Yeah, and again, I just think, you know, he's got that old-school mentality that, that's harder and harder to find in today's game that, you know, he's going to put his boots on. He's going to get the job done. Even if he doesn't have his best stuff, he's going to empty the tank for you. And that's something that obviously has made him very popular here. I definitely think he bounces back, not to his 2016 form, but I think he's definitely better than he was last year. Um, and, and again, everything we're talking about just keeps circling back to the Cubs don't need a Cy Young winner on this staff. They just don't. If everyone just does what they're supposed to do, the Cubs and, and you know keeps the Cubs in ball games. there's so much power and so much potency in this offense that the Cubs could win 90 games just off that alone. Yeah, for sure. I think if John Lester gives you a, a 3.5 ERA in 180, 200 innings, you definitely take it because of everything is so balanced. He does a solid job. Everyone else does their job. You'll gladly take that. Absolutely. So with just a few minutes left here in tonight's episode of Climbing the Ivy, it is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody. Um. Alex, we talked about it a little bit uh, before we went on the air, but I thought it would be cool. Everyone has their story, what made them be a Cubs fan. So in the Valentine's Day loving spirit, what is it that made you fall in love with the Chicago Cubs? Well, the Cubs have run in my family, my dad's side of the family for a very long time. My great-grandfather came here, was a North Sider, and my grandfather, still alive today, grew up his whole life a Cub fan. He's got a picture of him as a five-year-old walking with his father alongside Wrigley Field in the mid-1930s. So a little bit of cool history there. Uh, my grandfather is also a Bears season ticket holder at Wrigley Field. So there's a special connection with Wrigley Field and the family. And obviously my dad was a diehard fan. He's been to a number of famous games. He was at a Kenny Holtzman no-hitter. He was at the Samberg game in 84. He was at the 23-22 game against Philadelphia in the late 70s. So he's seen a lot of it all. And then 
he just kind of passed it on to my brother and I. And uh, remember going to my first game. It was either, I think it was 2000. The team wasn't any good, but I remember stepping into Wrigley the first time when I was about six years old. And I just immediately knew that I was going to love coming to Wrigley Field for the rest of my life and just have been really a big fan since. And I started kind of watching them religiously when I was about nine years old, and that was when uh, 2003 happened. That's really when I started watching them because, you know, as a young kid, it's it's harder to watch sporting events and really appreciate it just because you're so young. But I just remember going to my first game when I was about six, and I'll never forget that day. So that's basically how I became one. Well, at least uh, for you and your family, it's paid off. Got your world, got your World Series. Um, yeah. S- similar to me, I grew up. Um, I actually didn't go to my first game until I believe I was a sophomore in high school. Um, always watched games. I listened to them. Um, I would listen to Pat Hughes on uh, vacation at home, sitting outside, and I would keep score in a scorebook. Um, but between my great grandmother on my, on my dad's side and, and my grandmother, I would watch games whenever I could. And then similar to you, uh, my uncle took me to a home opener at Wrigley Cubs cards. I believe Maddox had made his return to the Cubs at this point, And he was on the Hill and coldest, one of the coldest games I've ever been to. Uh, absolutely frigid, but I still loved it. Um, the older I got, the more games I got to go to. Um, it just, it's, it's hard to explain what it means to be a Cubs fan, but you just feel like you're part of something bigger. Um, and I think that's what made 2016 so special was I, I couldn't help but think of all the people. Uh, my great grandmother passed away at 86, never saw a championship. Thankfully, my grandmother is still around and got to experience um, 2016. But I think that's what made made and still makes it so special, even with a championship, is there's so many people who, you know, being a Cubs fan is a lifelong love affair. It's not anything that you stop doing. Um, even when the team was just awful and there was no light at the end of the tunnel, you never thought, you know, you might tell yourself, at the end of the season, you know, when the team loses its hundredth game, Oh, I'm done with this. But by the time the calendar hits February, the next year, the excitement is there. And you, I mean, next year is here. This is it. We're going to do it this year. You can't even help it. It's subconscious how deeply ingrained the Cubs are um, in your life. Oh yeah. I mean, I remember being equally as excited for opening day 2012 as I was for opening day like 2016 because, you know, just being such a, a big fan and all. And I knew that 2012, it was going to be a miserable season, but you're just ready for it because no matter what season it is, you always go into opening day with just a clean slate and everything in front of you. Now you said you went to a frigid game. When was that exactly again? It would have been probably 20 and what? Oh, five to Oh nine. So I mean, Maddox, Maddox, it was probably, Oh, it was Oh five or Oh six then. 
okay. Because I remember going to a really frigid game in 2008, and it was the second game of the year. Yeah, there's there there are always some doozies that early in the year. A buddy of mine was texting me. He wants to do uh, Friday, Saturday, back-to-back in the bleachers, the second week in April. And, I mean, I'm, we're, we're going to do it. We'll make it happen. But I am terrified it's going to be 40 degrees out, rainy, windy, a typical Chicago spring. But... Even with that weather, I'll be there and I'll love every minute of it. But uh, we are going to sign off for the night. Uh, It's been great talking with all of you. Another week of the Climbing the Ivy podcast. Again, check us out on Twitter and Facebook. And we will be back with you next week. Same time, same place.